Abandoned Quest and Sea Monsters Etc. present Volos Waterdeep in Kyridian, a visitor's guide to the City of Splendors. Part 3 Spell Plagues and Splendors. The White Queen is troubled, but can't say why. The Black Queen hates the White and gives the assassin the assassin's black steals upon the white queen. She can't see Stones him gliding through the shadows. The sword screams, the white queen falls, branches break, branches her city falls. The white queen is troubled, but can't say why. Welcome back, everyone. You're in for a treat today. I managed to pull a couple strings and send a couple birds, so today we're going to take a little field trip to a very exclusive museum, the Sinosure. If you spend any time in the city, you've probably seen this great marble-pillared structure on your days out in the market, or seen the entrance crowded with young nobles in the latest finery while out for a late-night cocktail. After hours, the Sinosure is an exclusive nightclub for Waterdeep's noble families. But in the light of day, it's a museum dedicated to the time of troubles. We're here with the curator of the Sword Coast Museum of Sinosure and my very close personal friend, Professor Chip Melshimber. How are you, Chip? Very well, Volo. It's an honor, as always. Chip! The Sinosure has been here longer than most buildings in the City of Splendors. What can you tell us about it? Yes, the building we now walk through was built as a temple for the Overgod Ao, who enjoyed a brief but fervent period of worship in Waterdeep following the uh, Time of Troubles. What was the Time of Troubles? Where to begin? <laughs> in uh, 1358 DR, the Overgod Ao, whose motives remain mysterious to this day, cast down the gods to walk the mortal plane. Uh, until then, none but the gods had known of Ao's existence, and since then, uh, we have learned little more. Professor Melshimber leads me over to a recreation of a stone tablet, the engraving worn by time and barely legible. Young acolytes point and whisper, while an artisan dwarf sketches quietly nearby. You say his motives are mysterious, but according to this brochure, this was retaliation for the theft of a particular artifact. Uh, correct. The Tablets of Fate. Uh, it was once believed to be the work of an adventuring party, but religious scholarship has revealed it was, in fact, the gods Bane and Mirkul, later joined by Bale. People consider these gods to be vile and malicious, is that right? Oh, many do, yes, but I think it would be more correct to label them um, ambitious. As we know little of Ao, it's difficult to know how the politics of divinity played out, um, but we do know the punishment. He, he cast down the gods and demanded the tablets be returned to him. Uh, yes. Ao uh, cast down the gods, the ones worshipped by humans at any rate, and demanded the return of his uh, property. How did that shake out, Professor? Well, from where we stand, it seems Ao was not omniscient nor overly wise. The gods didn't seek out the tablets, and thus it was left to mortals to sort out the mess. Uh, they did so, their efforts culminating in Waterdeep. Where was Ao last seen? Uh, to the northwest of the city, right on the slopes of Mount Waterdeep. Uh, there he granted godhood to the human heroes who retrieved the missing tablets, an extreme example of the adventuring system that helps build the world to this day. Here, let me show you something. Chip leads me out of the crowded lobby to a gallery of artwork. 
Here, the Sinosia displays several artifacts of cultural note discovered right here on Mount Waterdeep. He shows me shards of pottery from the old city of Elenthaldar, carvings and statuettes from the Malerkin, even recreations of cave paintings from the ancient drow that ventured up from the Undermountain. Chip and I now stand in front of a massive image of the city, painted from a perspective high atop Mount Waterdeep. Griffins soar above the painter, who has evidently brought her children, rendered playing in the foreground as the sun sets beyond the city. A Tethyrian half-elf in a smart yellow tunic guides a tour of young halflings and their guardians, who listen attentively as she expounds upon the painting. So this painting here is one of my personal favorites. It's called The Cavalry and was painted by V.J. Ruldegost in 1391 DR. At first, it seems to focus on the Griffin Cavalry, but the eye quickly adjusts to them as a, how do you say, feature, rather than the subject. You see here the trade ships in the dark ward, chimney smoke rising from people's homes, the flags waving around Castle Waterdeep. Yet all of this splendor is still beneath the children, standing only on the base of the mountain, which is, in fact, the last place the old god Ao was ever seen. Pardon me, Annalise, I have a guest here I think you'd like to have a word with. It's Bolotham Kadarm. Are you serious? Oh, God, I goes, how are my ears? They look sharp. Okay, okay. He wants to talk to you. Okay, I got this. Just, just speak into the stone? All right, okay. My name is Annalise Mithany. I'm a visiting scholar from the Starshine Academy, researching religious artwork related to, well, Waterdeep. And if I may say, it is an honor, Mr. Kadarm. Volo's Guide to Monsters has been extremely helpful in our Department of Acquisition. Professor Metheny was proving to be a scholar of exquisite taste. I asked her, why was Mount Waterdeep so frequently depicted in relation to Ao and the Time of Troubles? Well, as I'm sure Chief has already told you, Mount Waterdeep is honored as the last recorded landing of the old god Ao. And because of our limited historical canon on Ao, the mountain and the city beneath it hold enormous religious significance perhaps greater than we can currently grasp. I imagine this urban backdrop as almost out of place for a meeting with the god of all gods, but perhaps it is appropriate to show the pinnacle of mortal life to those freshly mortal. The countless spires, the conquered nature, and the distant echo of a city alive. With the arrival of another wave of students, we bade Annalise farewell. Chip led me into a small courtyard garden just outside the museum, the house of inspired hands looming tall on the horizon. Several statues imposed themselves on the courtyard, oblivious to the laughing children eating snacks beneath their pedestals. I took these for the heroes Chip had mentioned earlier, who were granted godhood for their bravery. I prompted Chip to elaborate. Who were these fine heroes? There was Kelimvor Lionsbane, a controversial paladin who ascended to the god of death and the dead. Uh, as god of the dead, he reshaped the bone castle of the Grey Wastes into the transparent crystal spire. Uh, with the translucent architecture, he sought to end the notion of death as a frightening mystery. Uh, Kelimvor promoted the idea that death was a natural part of life. Uh, he was often seen as cold. His judgment was harsh towards anyone he deemed cowardly or capricious, but with a little scholarship, it's difficult to view him as anything but fair. <laughs> That's paladins for you. 
quite. Then there was Midnight, who later became the current Mistra, the mother of all magic. Uh, of the three, Mistra is most worshipped among the common people to this day, and our own open lord, Laryl Silverhand, enjoys the esteemed privilege of being one among her chosen. Mistra was born a wealthy mortal, Ariel Banks, but quickly fell in with bards, thieves, and sorcerers, adopting the name Midnight, as she never cared for Ariel. The rumor is that Midnight got her first taste of magic in a tryst with a conjurer, and the insight dulled her lust for hedonism and focused her towards magical knowledge and training, which became an obsession akin to a quest. She fell into worship of Mistra, and when that Mistra was destroyed in the Time of Troubles, Ao selected Midnight to assume her position. Shortly thereafter, she was slain by Siric, uh, who we will discuss next, but she was eventually restored by your esteemed colleague, Elminster, after he valiantly absorbed the dark magics of Manshoon. And... Yeah, Elminster's great. Who is this Siric guy? Ah, Siric, the Prince of Lies. The Lord of Three Crowns, the Mad God. Siric <laughs> was selfish, petty, a murderer, an illusionist, a sower of conflict and betrayal by one's own hand. Uh, known by the symbol of a jawless skull, he sat upon the supreme throne and laughed as his spell plague wreaked havoc on the weave and poisoned the magic in all of Feyru. So we don't like Siric? I've never had the pleasure. Uh, as a mortal, he was so accomplished, a thief that he was beseeched but to help the former Mistra, now as mortal as he was, and free her from Castle Kilgrave with the help of Midnight, a beautiful wizardess. You could just say wizard. What happened next? How did she die? Mistra was slain attempting to ascend the celestial stairway without the missing tablets. Uh, Midnight committed herself to recover the tablets, and Siric accompanied her, intending to steal them for himself. Do you think witnessing the death of a god made an impact on Siric? Uh, it's certainly a possibility. Uh, seeing something like that would change anyone. Uh, after he slew Midnight, who had ascended to become Mistra, the weave was torn apart and the spell plague was unleashed upon the world, uh, perhaps reaching so far as the multiverse beyond. But some scholars disagree with this conclusion. Correct. Uh, truth be told, it isn't quite logical. Uh, historically, two earlier incarnations of Mistra had died, only to be reborn, uh, during which time the Weave maintained the integrity of magic. Uh, perhaps we shall never know the truth behind the spell plague. Perhaps not even the gods know. In the year of Blue Fire, 1385 DR, the spell plague gripped the world. It continued for a decade, leading to the Wailing Years, during which time arcane magic ceased to function and our planet of Turil was transformed. The spellcasters among you will know what a horror it is to wake up one day and find yourself unable to use magic. I was absent from the world at this time, indisposed by the force of an imprisonment spell. Elminster has since explained the events to me but I must confess that much of what he said made little sense. It was a long lecture, having something to do with stars, crystal spheres, and demiplanar reality mirrors. Suffice it to say, parts of our world switched with parts of another world, and magic was again... bad. As the last of the crowds thinned out of the building, I walked alone through the museum permitted to stay after hours as bartenders trickled in through the back entrance. The wall to my left was one giant window, 
and the golden sunset cast long shadows around the scale doubles of the walking statues. They stood upon a map of Waterdeep, rendered in broken, colored tiles. This would be a fitting end to my walk through history. You see, when the spell plague hit Waterdeep, the powerful magical fields that passively protect and affect the city became unstable. This led to the disastrous activation of most of Waterdeep's amazing walking statues as the result of an earthquake. In the years before, the walking statues were often hidden on the ethereal plane, to be called forth only in times of great peril. Many in the city doubted that such massive, sapient constructs were even real, let alone that they guarded the city invisibly. The Spell Plague confirmed their existence for all to see, and each carved a swath of destruction through Waterdeep before it was stopped. Now the walking statues stand about the city in various states of readiness or disarray, one of the most obvious of Waterdeep's many splendors. After the Spell Plague came the Sundering. Elven scholars insist on calling it the Second Sundering, asserting that the creation of Evermeet thousands of years ago was a similar happening. Regardless of the name you give it, the event that unfolded, beginning in 1482 DR, was the result of another world, called Abir, I am told, passing again into our own. The gods were once more cast into the mortal realm, this time embodied in the mortal beings known as Chosen. The old troublemaker Ao seemed to be the cause of it all, though why he chose to cast down the gods was a matter of dispute, even among those very deities while they walked among us. Apparently, all of this was foreseen by Waterdeep's legendary wizard and former Blackstaff, Kelvin Aronson. According to Elminster, Ao remade the Tablets of Fate as a result, restoring the Divine Order and separating a beer from Turil. But take that as you may. According to that roguish Longbeard, he saves the world without anyone noticing every other month or so. For now, life in the Deep has returned to normal. The walking statues stand unmoving, the Temple of Sinosure has become a museum, and the motives of Ao remain a mystery. These esoteric elements of Waterdavian culture are now in the past, but next time, we bring things back to ground and dive deep into the code legal and many of the branches of the City Watch that keep peace on this plane of reality. Until then, I've been Volothampkadem, and remember, every quest is an invitation into history. Good night, everyone. This has been Volo's Waterdeep in Kyridian, a visitor's guide to the City of Splendors, performed by the author Volothamp Kadam, under the generous patronage of the Lord's Mill Shimber, published by Time Waterdeep Limited in association with the Fellowship of Innkeepers and the Fellowship of Carters and Coachmen. Special thanks to Professor Chip Mel Shimber, Annalise Mithany, and the Sword Coast Museum of Sinosure. I, Volothamp Kadam, verily attest to the veracity of the words spoken herein. From all of us at Volo's Guide, remember, set your course by the truth that you shall never be lost, no matter how far you wander. Thank you for listening. <laughs>